My name is Bear Siragusa, and this is the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. I'm here with Bob Ford from Pennsylvania, born and bred, author of Beagle Tales 1 through 8? 1 through 8, and then there's one volume of just all Christmas stories. Okay. And a cookbook. Um, and the cookbook, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Methodist pastor, beagle man, to the yep. bone. What did I miss? I think that's it. I think that's about it, yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I've, I've been wanting to talk to you for for a long time. I've, I've, uh, I read your books. I started reading your books when I was down with pneumonia way... That was a while ago. That was that was quite some years ago, and I just couldn't put them down. I ended up working through the entire series more or less in not in one sitting. That'd be a lie, but you know, without without going on to other things, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're just they're just so much fun. Your books are great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. What um, you got started with beagles uh, together with your dad? Is that correct? Correct. My father had beagles in the 50s and 60s Mm. and sort of got out of that. And I was born 72, uh, 1972, and uh, not even realizing my father had had beagles when he was a younger man. And keep in mind, my dad was 45 when I was born. My wife or my mother was a second wife for him. Okay. So he had a whole family and then he got married to my mom and had, you know, my sister and I, Mm -hmm. and I just begged and begged for a beagle for the longest time. And I didn't realize he had beagles when he was young um, and got my first beagle when I was 13. I've had one ever since. Wow. Wow. When what's fascinated me a little bit reading your books is that you know a, a lot of times you'll read books and you'll lose track of uh, of people's good dogs you know they'll name a dog and then in the next chapter it'll be a dog you've never heard of and etc cetera, etc cetera. you've uh i mean you've had some beagles throughout the years but it's it's not as many as you would think somebody no. who's been doing it as long as you have w- would have right. you put a lot of time into each individual dog right Right. And, and, you know, when I was a kid and then through, you know, high school and college, I had a kennel. Yeah. Um, and you can have as many dogs as you want in a kennel. Uh, when I became a pastor, I wasn't going to build a $3,000 kennel and then have the Bishop say, you're moving to a new church next year. Sure. So just a handful of house dogs. Yeah. You know, but, I, but they get lots of, they get lots of rabbit tracks, you know, and, you know, they're not all the best or the most fantastic, but I develop them to all they're going to be, you know? Right. Right. You're, I find that that's not, I think that's underestimated how much that actually has to say in terms of what a dog is eventually going to turn out to be. You know, because there's, I have seen some brilliant natural talents just never make it off the start line because they didn't have the time put it into them. And I, but I've seen on the flip side some um, 
you know, some less, you know, less impressive dogs, um, become very, very good just based on the amount of time and energy put into them. And I still think it's mostly genetics, but, uh, and, you know, I don't know that I believe a handler can make a dog if it's never has the genetics. Right. But, uh, I think there's a lot a handler can do wrong to make a good dog worse. <laughs> that's, you know, that's that's a good uh, good way to put it. Yeah. What um, you know, but what was it that gave you that attitude? Was that your dad's attitude as well? Like, because I it, my experience has been that that's an unusual attitude. Putting the amount of time into the dogs that you've got and working with what you've got is is uh, especially in today's world and social media where you're inundated with offers of super dogs, you know, quote unquote. Right. Um, right. It, it's hard to put in the time with what you've got in front of you. What, where did you yeah. get that? <clears throat> well, now keep in mind, I'm in Pennsylvania. I've lived here, Pennsylvania all my life outside of what I call the, uh, Babylonian exile years where I spent three years in Ohio going to seminary. Okay. <laughs> it, it was so flat there. I would just wake up every day depressed at the lack of topography in central Ohio. Just like, Oh hell, here we go again. And, uh, so, but in Pennsylvania to this day, there are still more beagle clubs in Pennsylvania than anywhere. Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's just a ton of them, but a lot of them are still brace dogs. The traditional brace dogs, and if you do a YouTube search for traditional brace beagles, you will see dogs that bark 25, 30 times before they take a step. Okay. (laughs) I mean, that's how slow. And by the time I got my first beagle in 1985, that's how the brace dog world was. Um, SPO had taken off, but it wasn't big where we lived, the SPO style dogs. So, um and the first time we saw a field trial, my dad was in awe. He said, in the 1950s, I would go to these trials. The dogs were so fast, the judges had to have horses right. to keep up. But right. then they, they, you know, through and give them credit if that's what you like. I mean, I can't stand watching that style of dog. But give them credit if that's what you like. The Brace Boys did a really good job of slowing them down. And, you know, they actually use a term. Uh, you know, they go slow enough that they're never going to circle a rabbit. Okay. And when the scent gets cold, you know, they're just boo, 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 boo on the line. And when the scent gets too cold to go any further, and I've heard traditional brace guys say this, they like them to just stand there and go silent. And they call that dying beautifully on the line. Okay. <laughs> it's, That's it's very, the term very, they use. very poetic. Very poetic, isn't it? I mean, it makes it sound a lot better than can't hunt with this dog. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, by the time I was getting into beagles, you know, the small pack option was starting, but it wasn't real popular where I was. And all my dad and I did was hunt rabbits Hmm. and listen to them chase when it wasn't rabbit season. And so we ran them hard just because we enjoyed running dogs. You know, we weren't competing in field. Now you see guys that are all, all about the field trials and not so much about just out running dogs, you know, I mean, it's, it's like any other, uh, sort of hobby or pursuit or sport, you know, you get people that are more involved in the competition than they are. And, you know, it, 
if there wasn't ribbons and trophies involved, would they still do it? <laughs> right, right. I mean, that that is a good question. You know, it's uh, I wonder a little bit about that sometimes, you know, in really all dog sports, but, you know, in sort of speaking specifically of hounds, whether, you know, how many of these people that do it would do it if they didn't have the trophy or Instagram photo or, you know, whatever is. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes wonder whether the main motivation is maybe not getting out there with the dogs, but actually being able to sh- show off afterwards, potentially, you know, I mean, um, for, for some people right. anyway. And, you know, there's a non-field trial component of that too, where, you know, uh, can I get 10 of my best friends together and how many rabbits can I put on the tailgate? <laughs> sure. Right. Right. Yeah. The yeah. To- total yeah. number of, uh, yep. Yeah. And you know, that's, you know, some people are opposed to that. Hey, I don't care how many rabbits people shoot. If they, if they follow the daily limit laws, if you want to take 10 guys and take down 40, good for you. you yeah. Know? Right. Right. It's not what I do because I try to get good chases all hunting season. And if I did that, I would run out of spots quick. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. I mean, that makes sense, you know, but you know, having said that though, you, I mean, you wrote a cookbook, so you're, you're not one of those guys that's hunting just, Oh no, you're not leaving those rabbits out in the ditch. You're, uh, you do a lot with those rabbits. I, I do. And I shoot a lot of rabbits. Um, and mostly because, uh, I'll go every day of the hunting season. Right. Um, even if it's the last hour of daylight. Right. And, and you know, if I do that, my goal is to get 60 minutes of hound music and put a rabbit in a vest and go home. Yep. You know, but I mean, that's six rabbits a week. Right. I can't hunt Sundays. That's six rabbits a week. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, that was one thing, you know, I've, I've had some bigger hounds. Um, I had a plot that, uh, you know, anybody who's listening to the pod has listened to the podcast before has heard many stories about, um, that's now down with a buddy of mine, but I just got, yeah, I guess about six weeks ago, I picked up a beagle pup and I had had a beagle growing up that I hadn't hunted with, but I always liked the breed, uh, because of that. And, you know, getting back into, into beagles now, uh, seemed appropriate in terms of my kids and where they were at and things like that. But a major, major motivator for that is because beagles is, it's so, it's such a nice dog to fit in into a busy schedule and have in the house. Like you can have them be a part of the family, but then if you've got, a, as you say, if you've got an hour, you've got 60 right. minutes of fun ahead of you. It's right. You know, it's, it's not right. going to turn into like with the plot, you know, if I tried to do that, that hour of fun could very quickly turn into 38 hours of, you know, a 38 hour ordeal to try and get him back. To try to get the dog back. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. So they're they're such great they're such great little dogs. But before we get more into the into the into your dogs and things like that, um, what is it about Pennsylvania? Because somebody asked me about that. I, I mentioned I was having another. Uh, I was having you on, and and it's like, what does he run? And I said well, beagles. He's like, let me guess. He's from Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> and I've interviewed a couple of Beagle guys, and I think all of you have been from Pennsylvania so far. 
What is it about Pennsylvania that attracts the Beaglers? You know, in comparison to, say, bird dogs, hmm. or even in comparison to, say, coon dogs, um, it's not as expensive of a sport. Okay. And I know when I would talk to my dad about it, he was born in, you know, 1927. Mm-hmm. He's passed away, of course. But, you know, he said, back then, he said, it wasn't like everybody had six dogs in the yard. He's like, everybody had one dog in the yard. And he said, and it was used to put food on the table. Sure. And it was an affordable working class sport. Yeah. Um, and I know that very early on, there were a lot of beagle clubs that did, you know, field trials, competitions, and, you know, they just, I mean, Pennsylvania just really exploded with that. And sometimes I wonder, and, you know, I don't have the answer why those numbers are there, but sometimes I think about it this way. Uh, We're at the very Southern edge of where you will find snowshoe hair. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're far enough North that in May and June, you're not running dogs in 90 degree weather yet. Sure. Sure. And, you know, and, you know, the terrain is good too. And I mean, uh, I think still dairy's one of the top money makers in the state of Pennsylvania. People don't often think of Pennsylvania that way. No. So you always had all these old farms and hedgerows and, sure. you know, I mean, it was, it just, you know, perfect uh, cover. Yeah. Perfect cover. Uh, a lot of logging industry and, you know, hmm. you get clear cutting a chunk of ground, you got rabbits, Right. Um, you know, so I always, you know, I, I think a lot of people not from Pennsylvania think of us as Pittsburgh and Philly. Um, but man, everything in the middle is way different. <laughs> sure. Oh, that makes sense. You know, it's, um, we, we don't have much in the way of rabbits here. We have a yeah. bunch of these, um, they look like snowshoe hares, but, uh, uh, English listener of mine, um, just pointed out to me that they're not actually snowshoe hares. They turn white. They look, I mean, to me, exactly the same. But okay. They're the mountain hare. So it's not the European hare either. They don't change colors. You're talking. I'm talking a, a, a Europe. It's a European a, mountain hare. Yeah. That will turn, turn white like a snowshoe, but it's not, it's actually a different type of, it's, it's a little bit bigger. It's than not like the, uh, it's not like the European hair they'll run in Spain and in Greece. That's I think they stay brown all year. Don't they, they do, yeah. They they've got the what they call here the the southern hair, which is what you're okay. talking about. Yeah, that'll stay. Okay, that'll stay brown, and you don't need to go that far to get those. You know, they've got those down in down in Sweden. Um, or oh, hell, now you Sweden. put a new species. Now you put a new species on my radar, which oh, I try to collect. Well. <laughs> If you ever want to come to Norway and hunt mountain hare over beagles, I might know a guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's uh, yeah. I'm I'm excited about it. You know, they're they're not as um, you know. I I talk to you know I I talk to guys over there and and you know they're they're talking about sight races and things like that, getting puppies started because that's that's kind of where my head is at at this point is trying to you know figure out how chase. I'm going to, yeah, how I'm going to get this pup started. 
And it's it's hard to get a sight chase on one of these hares because they're super aware of what's going on. There's not a ton of, I mean, there's enough of them, but there's not a ton of them. Mm-hmm. So to get a sight chase on one of those hares is is difficult because they usually know you're there before you know they're there. And they're going to run. They're not going to hunker down and hope that you walk by. They're going to get up and run way before you get there. Yeah. So I'm I'm a little bit curious how I, it's going to take a, a lot of foot to keep close to them too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's going to be. Uh, I'm excited to see how it how it plays out. You know, I've always had this attitude with all the other hounds that I've started that, um, you know, if if I haven't worn out a good pair of boots before that dog is, you know, is two years old, then I've done something wrong. You know, then I then I haven't been moving enough to keep you know, and I think I'm going to apply that same thing to this beagle, even though his legs. And you could start on, and you could start on a more a more plentiful species somewhere, or is that the most plentiful there? Um, That's going to be the most plentiful species of of um, like uh, yeah, what would you call it? Uh, Rabbit type animals, right? Yeah. Um, I I was going to say if. If going south got that southern hair, if, if there was more of them, I might go down there and see if I could get them started easier. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually what I'm going to do because I was down at a wedding here um, in southern Sweden uh, f- f- last weekend, I guess it was, or the weekend before. And um, the last, f- it was an 11 hour drive south from here, but the last 15 minutes, there were hares, it was middle of the night, but there were hares and rabbits crossing the road all over the place. It's been 15 years since I've hit anything bigger than a squirrel, and I hit two rabbits yeah. with the truck in wow. the space of about 10 minutes, and I was trying, like, actively trying not to hit them. Um, it well, was, just, so I might go down just, there with them, I think, yeah. I just drive down there at dusk, with the track and collar on the dog. And when you see one cross the road, right. <laughs> put them on the mark line. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Just so they can get a scent of it. You know, give them the scent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, I, I was out pig hunting, um, cause that's the, the, my buddies down there, that's what they're really enthusiastic about is, is the pig hunting. Yeah. And, um, so I had this, one of them had this thermal like spotting scope that he was showing okay. me. And he was telling me about it as we're driving, and I stuck it out of the window and looked at a field that we were driving by, and it was lit up like a Christmas tree. There were so With many hair. <laughs> hair on that field. It was unbelievable. So I, I think that's what I'm going to end up doing is go down there for a week and uh, just try and get him get him started on those, and then we'll come back and... and uh, and work in on... In State College, in State College, Pennsylvania, there was... Uh an Austrian restaurant and uh, uh, you know, uh, the old timer that owned it, he's passed away, but you know, he was from Austria okay. and he knew I hunted and he said, all we eat is hair back home. I said, yeah. I said, you hunt them with dogs? No. He said, we go out at night when there's a nice bright moon and we shoot them and all we eat is the back. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I, you know, but I mean, it was more of kind of keeping the population down there and and things and, and, uh, you know, but, you know, the idea of night hunting rabbits had never 
cross my mind. I mean, I'll train dogs at night once in a while, but right. I typically don't run that much at night, but yeah. Yeah. So I can imagine if, if you had the optics to see them like that at night, I can just imagine what that would be like, you know? Yeah. It was, it was really, it, it I was taken aback. I, I couldn't really believe that there were so many of them, uh, out there. I kind of, you know, had to ask him to stop and, you know, to make sure I wasn't seeing double here. It was, there were, there were more hairs than made sense in my head, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, it was a cool experience. Nice. So, but the, uh, the, uh, the, he was a restaurateur. Like he, he ran that restaurant, that Austrian guy. Yeah. Right up until he retired. And then, uh, the family took over and, you know, they eventually moved to other ventures, but, uh, okay. yeah, I mean, I would go in, he had, uh, some, kind of a stag that at one time was like the 10th biggest in all of Europe hanging on the wall. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, and you know, he always told me, Oh, if you want to go to Austria, my family has X number of what, not acres, Hector. Yep. Sure. Uh, and, and I'm like, well, if I ever ring up the money to go do it, maybe I will. Right. And, uh, <laughs> but I know when he retired and sold his house and moved into a smaller place, he gave me a whole bunch of traditional Austrian hunting clothing. Oh, cool. That's really yeah. cool. I love stuff yeah. like that. Did he, yeah. uh, did he have recipes that he shared with you? Is that, did any of the recipes you've got in that book sort of stem from stuff that you, uh, one of them did, um, um, a Zegadiner sauerkraut, which is like a real spicy sauerkraut. Yeah. And they add a lot of paprika and other spicy things to it so that it's almost like a, uh, a hot sauerkraut, you sure. know, real spicy, hot. And then, uh, they always, I think it's kraut fleisch Zegadiner or something. It's got a lot of meat in it. Sure. So uh, the way I would do it is I would take, uh, I used to use a crock pot. Now I use a pressure cooker, uh, a debone, four or five rabbits, throw it in the pressure cooker and just obliterate it. Okay. And then add the sauerkraut and cook it till it's done, but not too mushy. And then add all those spices to it. And oh, that sounds great. It's a big hit at, uh, you know, here in Pennsylvania and a lot of other places, pork and sauerkraut's a traditional dish and I'll serve rabbit and sauerkraut and nobody knows the difference. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I'll put a little bacon in it to make sure it's got some pork in it, you know? Cool. Cool. I want to talk a little bit about your, your books cause you're a prolific writer. How did you, how did you get started doing that? How did you get started with the writing? Well, at one point, trying to think at one point there were four beagle magazine beagle specific magazines none of them over four thousand readers mm -hmm. or five thousand so there was better beagling hounds and hunting uh the rabbit hunter yep. and the american beagler and i don't know i don't think the american beagler exists anymore hounds and hunting and better beagling combined but anyway at that time 2001 I'm reading all the magazines and I thought there's nobody writing humor. Um, and I probably write more humor than I do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, not that it's all humor. I do other things too. And you know, this is 2000, I guess, or 2001 Bob Baker, who owned a better beagling based out of Vermont. Um, they had a fax number listed in the front cover of the magazine. 
So I wrote a story. Boy, and I don't remember what it was now. But uh, I could figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I faxed it to him. Okay. And I said, would you be interested in buying anything like this? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, can you give me one of these a month? And I said, yeah. He said, yeah. And I've been doing it ever since November 2001. I've been writing. Wow. Wow. How do you, I mean, it's amazing to me that you're able to find time for all of the things that you do. Cause I mean, it's, it's not like, it's not like you can phone it in as a pastor. I mean, that, that requires a lot of, a lot of dedication and time spent sort of formulating uh, what, right. What you're going to say, I should think. And then you've got the beagles on top of that and the writing on top of that. Like I, have you found an hour, an extra hour in the day that the rest of us don't know about? Or like, how are you making that work? That's amazing. I, uh, I do a lot of sermon writing while I'm running dogs. Okay. And so what I, so, you know, what I very often do is Sunday night, I pick a text, um, that I'm going to preach and I will, with the aid of lexicons and other things, I'll go and look at the Greek or Hebrew, whatever it's written in, look at it, you know, got some commentaries and I'll, I'll, I'll study the big shots, you know, the big brains and what they've said about the text. Um, and then from there, once I get my ideas or points that I want for a sermon, um, I always, you know, consider that the tree of a sermon, mm-hmm. right? So that's the frame of it. And I use the analogy of a Christmas tree. So if I'm going to make a point about grace, or if I'm going to make a point about being in community or something, I, I get those points, which are the frame of the tree. And then I think of illustrations that reinforce those points. Okay. And so, and I'll often do that while I'm running dogs and I'll think, all right, I'm trying to think of a, trying to talk about community. How do I do that? And I'll think, well, you know, I'll say, I'm always jealous of the apostle Paul. When you read his letter to the churches, he got to oversee big fights, like the nature of the Eucharist, the nature of Christ and all those things. Me, I just get to oversee fights over what color the carpet's going to be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, something like that, you know, and, you know, I'll, I'll think of a story of a specific, you know, breaking of community in a church. And I always, you know, tell the story, the church I was at before I was here, uh, they had a pipe organ and got rid of it. Okay. And they put up a fake wall. Uh, to hide where the pipes had been ripped off the wall and there's nothing there. So they had the styrofoam fake wall about three feet back and they stored the Christmas decorations back there. Okay. And uh, there was a couple getting married and they said, we want to restore that. We want to take that wall down because there's a beautiful stained glass window back there okay. that got covered. And, and they're like, we want to get married. We want that window exposed. Can we do that? And I'm like, yeah, we can do that. We'll just, you know, have a, you know, conversation at the meeting and they were going to pay for it. And Annabelle, God love Annabelle. I loved Annabelle, but she showed up and her husband had passed away. And she said that wall was meant to be there forever. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And she convinced the council not to tear that wall down, which was held up by two, two by fours, mind you. Okay. 
And so we did the wedding. I wasn't there. Ten years later, the couple calls me up and says, can you come up and, you know, do the renewal of our vows? I, I'm not even living there anymore. Right. I'm like, yeah, I'll come up. And we walk in the church and they say, okay, pastor, what do you think? And that wall was down. And there's that beautiful stained glass window. And they had a choir loft up around there. And they looked at me and they said, what do you think? And I looked at the window and said, Annabelle's dead, isn't she? Uh, right right so i'll i'll kind of get points for a sermon and then while i'm running the dog i kind of trance out listening to dogs sure i'll just sit there and think of things that might make an entertaining story to illustrate the sermon and i do the same thing when i write you know articles for you know various hound magazines and sure and you know places like that so um i still have you know, work I do indoors. I still have a lot of paperwork and study and, you know, that kind of thing, exegesis for a sermon. But I, I do a lot of the thinking while I'm out in the woods. And I always carry a Bible in a Ziploc bag in case it rains. Mm-hmm. And I always carry a notebook. Okay. And wow. a dove stool. And a, and a dove stool that if I get into a place where I'm going to be able to see dogs a lot, I unfold the dove stool, sit down, get out the Bible and a notebook and work, you know? Okay. Wow. That's uh, that that's high level multitasking right there. That's amazing. That's cool. Well, I mean, keep in mind, I had to have my wife set up this Zoom for me because I couldn't remember how to do it. <laughs> and uh, you know, when 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 people talk about the newest television shows, I don't have any idea what they're talking about. Oh, well, neither <laughs> so. <laughs> neither do I. So that's uh, you know, so. Yes, there's multitasking and there's just uh, choices of how you're going to spend your time. Sure, too. <laughs> that's that's a. I mean, that's certainly true. You know, I. Uh, yeah, no, I, I. I I tend to. I write some articles for um, a couple for the the W guys, the guys who um, uh, present this podcast. Yeah, and then I write a, a column in. Um, bear hunting magazine yeah and uh did a did a column for quite a while in um the hunter's horn which is uh uh running like a running walker uh magazine okay um and yeah i i did a lot of that the formulating of the sort of big ideas you know the fine tuning. Obviously, I needed to do at home, but the the big ideas, the points I wanted to hit on, things like that, I I often do. I when I'm doing something else, either I'm driving or I'm you know working the dogs or whatever. It's it's uh, it, it is very you know that certainly need to have your focus on the dogs, but at the same time, if you're able to keep an eye on the dogs, it can become very sort of meditative to yes to, to listen to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at, at the height of it, I was writing 36 articles a year. Okay. Um, wow. That's a lot uh, of, that's a lot of writing. Yeah. And now I'm not writing near that much anymore or anything, but you know, and if you read my books, then, Mm -hmm. you know, I always tell people this, um, and there's a lot of people who don't hunt that like my books, Mm. um, you know, which always kind of, and then I thought about it, you know, there's only so many ways to tell a rabbit hunting story. They all basically say we went hunting. The dogs did great. We killed some, some rabbits got away. Right. <laughs> I mean, 
right? That's, and I've always thought that's a had to be there kind of story. If you weren't there the day that happened, right? If you're a reader who wasn't on that hunt, that's not, I'm not saying it's a bad story, but I'm saying it's so. I actually was accused of not writing about dogs one time. And I thought about it and I said, say more. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they said, you actually use beagles as a vehicle to tell a different story. Yep. And I thought, yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Because, you know, some of the, some of the, the you know, more popular articles I've written in terms of humor have been conflicts uh, exaggerated at times in my stories between my wife and I about dogs and, you know, taking her car to save gas money and the dogs getting her windows and backseat all dirty and all of this kind of a thing. (laughs) And, you know, so a lot of the humor has nothing to do with dogs, but they're kind of in there, you know? Right. But yeah, so that's, uh, And I've written a lot of how-to pieces, too. I've written several articles for Furfish Game. Okay. And that's what they like. Right. How-to. You know, that's the format for that. That's not my favorite style of writing to do. Right. Um, You know, but that's that's what that magazine does, and I understand that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean... it's one of the things I really did enjoy about about your books. You know, I I would read it anyway because I'll you know I'll read anything that you know about beagles and hounds and hunting dogs and hunting in general, really. But um, you know what I what I did really like about your books and what kind of keeps me going back to them. I'm I've um, is is you are writing about much more than than beagles really i mean it's it's as you say it's a vehicle for you know life lessons loss love you know uh, there's a lot of themes that you'll touch on uh, that you'll touch on there um Mm -hmm. that i so it's not surprising to me at all to hear that people who have never hunted a day in their lives uh find something that resonates with them in, in the books, you know? Right. And, you know, people that own beagles as pets will buy it too, you know, cause I'll have, you know, I've had stories about the travails of having a beagle in your house. Right. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I always say, you know, the same, the same tenacity that will allow them to run a rabbit until it either goes in a groundhog hole or dies is the same stubbornness that if you fall asleep on the couch, they will get into your garbage. (laughs) Exactly. Even though they know they're going to get in trouble. Right. You know, that sort of resonates with anybody that's ever owned a beagle in the house. Oh yeah. And so I'll have people buy the books that, you you know, I think I had one story about a dog when my stepson was little, I kept finding wrappers on the floor and I thought, why can't this kid pick up after himself when he makes a sandwich and all this and I'm sitting there one day in the living room reading and I hear this like kind of a slapping sound and I walked in real quiet and there's my dog lady. She's dead now. She had learned to open the fridge. Okay. <laughs> she uh. had learned to open the fridge and I kind of knew she had i was waiting to see how she did it because we came home from dinner one night 
And she had eaten a pack of hot dogs minus one or two, mm-hmm. half a pound of provolone. Okay. And a half a pound of turkey. And I mean, she just looked like a beer cask ready to break. And right. I'm like, How? and and so, um, you know, at that time, my stepson was eight or I guess 10, 12 years old. Uh, we didn't need a child lock, but we have a child lock on our refrigerator just because of beagles. Oh, yeah. You know? Yep. And, you know, so, I mean, there's stories like that that I add a little humor to to make them funnier that people that just own beagles as pets will buy the books just for those oh yeah sort of stories oh 100 percent. yeah i mean it's um yeah uh beagles are i i work as a veterinary nurse and there's i mean people people talk about labradors as sort of the the gluttons of the dog world they have nothing on beagles they have nothing on beagles they are they're, they're farm league in comparison Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We took dogs to a kennel one year when we went on vacation. And the woman said, and I picked the place because of their double fence system. Yeah. So they had these cement runs with chain link that no dog could probably get out of anyway. Mm -hmm. And then in the yard, there was a secondary fence. I thought, well, that's going to be good. Well, she had automatic food dispensers. I said, please don't use that with my dogs. And she said, oh, it's guaranteed it will make dogs eat less. I use it all the time. Dogs eat less. I said, I don't believe you. <laughs> and uh, and she had show dogs. And this was like her main moneymaker was this big kennel. Like, I mean, it was a big kennel that people use for holidays and stuff. Sure. And uh, I came back after a week and they were huge. And I said, what did I ask you about? that automatic food dispenser, please don't use it. And she said, I only used it the first night (laughs) and we were gone for a week. And I said, and they're still that big. I said, how much have you been feeding them? Not very much. That's how much they ate the first night. (laughs) I said, Oh, and then she said, and I had to close them inside at night because they would go out into the outer chain link and howl at rabbits they could smell on the other side of the of the fence you know of yeah they could smell them on the outside of the outer chain link she said i don't know if they could see them or smell them but they would sit there and just howl and right said, okay. so i don't know she did take me back as a boarder again but i don't know that she had a good experience the first time <laughs> she had beagles that makes uh that makes sense we uh this is actually not that long ago this was End of the end of this past winter, I got a call at work saying I need to uh, I need to come in with my beagle. Um, he's eating something, <laughs> and I said, "Okay, uh, is he vomiting?" No, no, he's he, not yet, but he needs to. I need to come in and get some, you know, uh, s- some medicine to make him vomit up what he's eating. And so I took down her information, and then just as she was as she was sort of hanging up the phone. I was like, but just real quick, what did he eat? And she said, he ate the lining of my prosthetic leg. Damn. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, I went, I went skiing and sweated a little bit. So he ate, uh, he ate about, 
Yeah. He, he ate the entire leather, like, memory foam lining of her prosthetic leg. And this beagle came in and vomited up, mm. you know, an alligator worth of leather all over wow. the place. It was, and it, that, that took the cake as the strangest thing I've heard a beagle eating. You know, I've, I've heard of sort of the because- traditional, you know, sex toys, underwear, things like that. But this, the, the lining of a prosthetic leg, that took, that, that was a new one even for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when my stepson was real young, we had a chocolate incident. And I know chocolate's poisonous to dogs. I know people that feed their dogs chocolate ice cream and they never have trouble. Uh, but I know it can have an accumulative effect and all that. And I remember calling my vet. And I've had a relationship with my vet so long, I can text her. Uh, yep. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I put one of them kids through college, <laughs> uh, taking dogs there. But, you know, I said, he got into chocolate. And she said, peroxide. Yep. She said, take a turkey baster peroxide and make you know, you know, make them drink it. And if you have to repeat it till he vomits everything up, including the paper. Well, if you'd have told me it took two adults and a kid to hold one beagle down to feed it peroxide, (laughs) I wouldn't have believed you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, they're, uh, they're little Hercules is when they want to be a beagle that doesn't want to do something. You know, we said they're more gluttonous than a Labrador. They're also more stubborn than a mule they're uh yeah <laughs> that's too funny yeah they i remember our beagle had we had to operate on our beagle because she got into a bag of cat food and ate to the point where there was not she couldn't fit anymore into her body right so it sort of half digested and then solidified yep. into this just solid football size clump of cat food <laughs> that we needed to have operated out when I was a kid. I remember that from when I was a kid. <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, they're unbelievable. But they're, you know, the, the thing that makes them a pain in the butt to have in the, you know, around the house is also kind of what makes them endearing and what makes them. You know, as right, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, and you know, you know, after that dog that would uh get into the fridge, uh, I'll let an old dog out if we're gone for five, six hours, but anything with enough athleticism to reach a kitchen counter, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and you know, try to steal a loaf of bread or something, they all go in a crate while I'm gone for a few hours, yep, 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 same, uh, same here, this, uh. This beagle pup that I've got, he's 16 weeks old now. And uh, he, uh, from really, really young, like I I couldn't believe it the first time he did it, he was able to get up onto our couch, which is a fairly tall couch. Mm -hmm. But he was able to jump up onto the couch from like nine or 10 weeks old, like much, much younger than made sense. But it was, of course, motivated by you know, the yogurt that my sons had eaten and not put away, you know, it was right there. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit more about, about your dogs. Your first, that, that first dog you got, do you, do your current dogs all go back to those, those dogs? Have you kind of 
bred your way to the to where you are today, or, or what does that look um, like? So there's that first dog I got in 1985 has an ancestor four or five generations back. That's also in what I have now, but what I have now is not a direct descendant of the ones in 85. Okay. Um, we bred a couple litters, my dad and I, um, but then, you know, after those dogs had died, I wound up buying fresh cause I, I, you know, wasn't doing breeding while I was, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of a rare endangered species of people that went from high school to college to seminary. Right. Um, and now there's a lot of pastors that are second or even third career pastors. Uh, but you know, during those years when I was in college and in seminary, I'm holding on to the old stock I had. And then after I get out of seminary, I got to get something new. Okay. And, uh, I got in one of the magazines and found, found, found a bloodline. I thought I would like went and watched the dogs run. Mm Mm-hmm. And said, yeah, I like the way those dogs run and okay. got started. You know, I mean, there's a lot of hype in magazines when people have stud services out there. So I always like to go see the dog before sure. I believe, oh, okay, it's got a bunch of trophies, you know, right. let's see how it runs. Right. You know? Yeah, I can I can see that. And when, how long ago was that? 2000, 99 or 2000 okay. was when I change bloodlines from what I had in 85. Okay. And since then you've stuck to, you've stuck to that. It's the same bloodline you're running now. Everything I have now goes back to a dog I bought in 2000. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. So yeah. And now there's some outside crosses there too. Oh, sure. Um, Sure. Sure. Yeah. But, You know, I got a good friend that lives in Massachusetts and, you know, we've had two litters of pups together, including the one diamonds out of, um, but yeah. Cool. What is, you know, I I mentioned it really early on in this, what I find interesting is that, you know, there's in your books, there's maybe 10 dog names. Like I, I, I can't actually keep track. I, I, I didn't. I didn't count them, but like very few considering how long you've been in, in the Beagles. Right. Um, right. What? And there's a lot of times when I just say I cut the dogs loose and was list and, and I don't give any dogs names sure. in a lot of stories. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But are, is that because you've re- realistically, that's you, you haven't had a, huge number of dogs or are are the ones that we hear in the book are those like the ones that kind of stick out in your mind as the as the the kind of ones yeah kind of both uh you know um and since 1980 so i'm 85 95 05 15 35 in 37 years and it might be 37 years yesterday, I got my first beagle. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. And uh, and we drove to Erie to get it. And uh, let's see, two, four, six, eight. You know, I might have had 30 some dogs, maybe 30 dogs in those years. Yeah, right. Um, You know, um, 
And, you know, there are stories where I don't mention any dog's names because the actual name of the dog isn't always as important. Um, right. Uh, as what the greater narrative is. I mean, some, you know, I did win a award for the Pennsylvania Outdoor Writers, which is a story that was hard for me to write. I had written about my rebel dog who died hmm. and I shot my first rabbit with him when he was like five or six months old. Hmm. And I went to a junkyard that a shirt tail church member had. They didn't come to church or belong, but you know, they kind of were around a little bit. They owned a junkyard mm -hmm. and I would go up there to get work done. They said, there's rabbits all over here, but we won't let you use a shotgun because we don't want you damaging the cars. Okay. So I took this puppy up there and he would, take these rabbits out and they would come out and stand on the paths, the dirt paths that were in between the stacks of cars. Sure. Yeah. And I was allowed to shoot them with a 22. Okay. Yep. And, uh, I'll be a son of a gun that I kind of hit one low. It went under a car and died. And that dog ate the entire rabbit. I couldn't reach him under the car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And he sat there and ate it as a pup. And I had a hard time getting him out because he was barely big enough to go into it before he ate it. Got <laughs> right. sicker than you can imagine later. Um, and that was his first rabbit. And then I narrated his last rabbit when he was old. And I realized he, uh, you know, wasn't going anywhere. He was so slow. And I took his tracking collar off because I'm like, where's he going to go? Right. And he was old and that was his last hunt and he was all happy. And, you know, I used the traditional liturgy from a funeral service. I called the story Alpha and Omega. Yeah. Uh, his first rabbit and his last. That's the only two rabbits I talked about. Right. And the whole story was his first and his last. And I called it Alpha and Omega. And the whole rest of the story was how attached I was to this dog as a bond mm. and how tough it was for me to watch him die and he had kidney failure and you've probably seen this working sure. in the business yeah, of, you know you you know you set up the ivs at home and you're putting liquid under the dog's skin to absorb yeah. and yeah all yeah. that you know and um it was a tearjerker and it's uh you know one of the biggest awards i've won from that and you know i had trouble finishing it so sure. um so yeah that's sort of you know, one of the times when I do mention a dog's name sure. in an article. Sure. Um, but yeah. and and sometimes I'll mention them, you know, tangentially. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, it it kind of all depends. Right. That makes sense. What have you got for dogs now? I'm I'm interested in the I I just had a guy call me from Poland. And he just had a, a, a bad experience with a judge over there in his dogs. It's his first hound. It's not a beagle. It, it, it's a hound. It's um, a, a Polish hound um, that he's been doing a lot of work with. He's done a really nice job with this, with his, considering that it's his first hound and e even, even so. And he ended up um, kind of having a bad experience on his first trial where you know, the dog did really well, but got kind of disqualified on a technicality. And instead of kind of building him up, the judge broke him down, kind of attacked everything that he did. And the, this judge kind of ended with the, 
with you've got him in does he live inside yeah and he said well yeah and he said well oh that's just terrible people like you're ruining this you know like really went off on him which i I, and he called me kind of upset about it and i was just like don't you know don't don't listen to chuckleheads like that don't get too upset right and you've got your guys inside they they live in your house oh yeah has that I think I I know the answer, and I hope that most people listening know the answer too. But I'm going to ask anyway. Has that affected their ability to hunt anyway? It hurts me in field trial season, which is right now. Okay. Okay, because right now, if I slide over here and look, there they are laying under the air conditioner. <laughs> All right. Now, when you're at a field trial, when your dog makes it to winter's pack, what time of day do you think you're running winter's pack? Two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Warm o'clock. Yeah. 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 And, and just because they live inside, they gas out in the heat. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I had said something to my vet about that one time and she said, well, you're going to have to get rid of air conditioning if you want to fix that. And she told a story to me that she read in a medical journal of sled dogs Mm -hmm. that were being flown somewhere. And in the cargo hold of the plane, it was like 40 degrees yep. Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And when they got them out, they were panting and so overheated because they've been living out in sub-zero weather Yep, and to fly. So they were acclimated to that. Sure. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's something that with the sled dogs, we needed to be really aware of, you know, um, cause I, I had, or I have sled dogs still, and I've, I've been running sled dogs for 20 four years yeah and um you know that's something we needed to be really aware of if we had an injury or something like that that we didn't then bring that dog you know you you sort of into a building (laughs) well we could bring it into a building that was okay but you know you see these disney movies where they bring them wrap them in a blanket put them down in front of the wood stove you know blah 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 that's a real fast way to kill one of those dogs yeah yeah. you know because they their lungs start to fill with fluid like it's a bad deal yeah and you know it, it's the same going the other direction too you know you've got a dog that's used to the warmth and you toss it out in the cold that dog's gonna really struggle right well and see i don't have any trouble hunting my dogs in sub-zero weather okay um you know i think because they're moving sure yeah. and they're generating their own energy and staying warm I've had no trouble in the cold. The only negative thing I've found to having them in the house is uh, if you're going to be, and I know guys that really do well in this sport that have free time at three in the afternoon, um, where typically I run either before work or after work. um, But the guys that do well in this sport, they're out at two, three o'clock in the afternoon, which is when you run winner's pack. Mm Mm-hmm. And them dogs are getting conditioned to that weather. Sure. And they keep an eye on them to make sure it's not safe. I will say that my dogs don't have that three hour at two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I'm not going to have them last two, three hours in that time. Right, right, right. But I have no trouble in the winter. And I've had dogs inside. And now I find dogs that live in the house, in my experience, handle better for me mm-hmm. yep i uh that is that is exactly my experience as well 
that um, you know i know guys that run dogs and the only time the dog sees them is when they pick it up out of the kennel and take it into the woods yep and then when they pick it up to go home so every time that dog's circling a rabbit and sees its owner it goes oh boy he's trying to pick me up to go home (laughs) i gotta go Right, because that's the only time that they see the guys right. when it's time to go to the woods, and when it's time to go, uh, my dogs see me all the time, you know. And you know, I I've had a lot of good pictures of dogs chasing rabbits. I just sit down right on the marked line where the rabbit run by, and I just sit there and click 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 sure. until they get by. Them dogs never see me and think he's picking me up. Right, they, they see me so much, you know. Right, right. And Whereas I, I, there's something you know, I got friends. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got friends that say, you know, I mean, anytime, you know, they drop the dog, sit on the tailgate and listen to the music. And then when the dog sees him, they're like, oh, man, it's time to go home. I mean, that's what they think every time they see their owner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, th- I mean, that that's a that's a great point. The the I can see the point in terms of acclimating. Um to the temperature in Mm -hmm. my friend's case that was not actually an issue for him you know he he ended up waiting until about two o'clock so from eight until about two the trial started at eight he he went at two and um it was very hot hot enough so that the you know that i'll have him on the podcast so he can tell the whole story himself at some point um but it was uh really interesting to hear his first experience in the trialing world. Right. Um, because it was super negative. And that happens to a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've had negative experiences at trials. Too. Oh, sure. I mean, so I've had negative experiences at, yeah, dog, sled dog races, uh, AKC, obedience trial, you know, trials, things like that, you know. it. And in it field happens. trials, there's the reason the ad prints the judge's names. Right. Right. So, I mean, and it's not that I think some judges are bad and some are good, but some like a dog more the style that my dogs run and some like a different style dog. Sure. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, and to to be fair, you know, uh, judges are human too. And realistically, there's going to be some that just, they're kind of dickheads. And, right. you right. know, you may as well just avoid the trials with that one person there. And right. You know, it, we've got guys, we've got people like that here, and and I went to a I went to a sheepdog trial where um, uh, last year, where uh, a young guy came with a young dog and did really well, like better than a young guy with his first young his first dog who was also young really should have done, and just didn't get any kind of a score just just total garbage and then this sort of little bit you know young pretty athletic gal goes out there with her dog and has what to my eye is much more of a train wreck and gets a much much better score and yeah he was like i don't think i'm gonna go to another trial with that guy as a judge you know it's like yeah no biggie, yeah. but I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my time. Some, I mean, some people, some people judge the wrong end of the leash, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. So tell me about your current your current group of dogs. I want to touch on that before I let you hear. 
who have uh, how many do you have in the house right now, and what a what are their names? What are their relations to each other? I got Duke Costs and Badger, yeah, who are basically retired. Okay, uh, Badger had a real bad back injury; still can't feel his feet. Okay, uh, entirely. And for a while, we had uh, it was a lot of work, but I mean, he runs around like a demon now. But the vet says he shouldn't run him. So I got those retired, and I got Blitz, uh, Jenny, and Diamond. Okay. Gotcha. And those are my kind kind of running dogs. And then once in a while, uh, I'll get with my buddy Jason out in Massachusetts, and there might be a dog that I'll take for a little bit to work for him, or he'll take one of mine. And, you okay, know. gotcha. And Jenny and Diamond, I assume, are females. Yes. Blitz? Male. Okay. Do you notice a big... You're actually one of the first Beaglers I've talked to who runs males. Yeah. A lot of guys that I talk to, and and this is... uh, I found that a lot of houndsmen here as well prefer females. Yeah. Why... You who runs both, why... uh, What are sort of the pros and cons in your eyes? I don't think I've ever made it through a whole hunting season, which starts at the end of October and goes to the end of February here without my females coming in heat. No, of course. Of course not. (laughs) Right? Of course not. So there's going to be downtime for those bitches. And so I've, I've tend to had more male dogs than not over the years. This is kind of a, kind of a different scenario for me now. Um, And so I like, I like males because they don't come in heat. Mm-hmm. I like males because they don't handle as well as females for me typically. And what I mean by that is um, I've had females where if I discipline them for running a deer, right? If, you know, they're, you know, taking off on a deer and I decide they're going to ride to lightning today. Right. They can be, you know. And I have my settings are so low on my shot callers. I actually try every setting on myself. I put the shot collar on my wrist. I, I do that as well. <laughs> What's that? Have you I done did, that? Oh, I've totally done that. Yeah. It's like, it's like, all right, that's all I can take. That's all my dogs are getting. And I can tell you, I had uh, Diamond when she was younger, took a deer, and the level that I got her on felt like putting a nine volt battery on your tongue. Yeah. 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 Not real bad. Right. Right. She was devastated for the rest of the day or for about an hour. Anyway, (laughs) she was all devastated. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or, or like, even if you just yell at them, Hey, you know, I had, I've had females, they get into a gut pile or something, you know, and they're a little sensitive and whatever. Right. Um, but I think, the reason most guys keep females is let's say I have a male. I like, yeah. Somebody has to want to breed to my male. Right. And if you got a female that you like and you can go and breed to my mediocre to above average, maybe male, or you can go pay money and breed to the best male in the business. Right. Right. Whereas when you own females, if you're willing to pay a hundred bucks 
or give up a puppy because it's not an expensive stud fee in the beagle world. Right. At least in terms of hunting beagles, you can breed anywhere with your best bitch. Sure. And I think that's why a lot of guys tend to keep bitches. That that makes sense. You know, the, the breeding aspect of it, you know, I, I can see that. Um, I was talking to a guy, Brian Brian Phillips here a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that it was for him. The reason he preferred females is that they didn't get sidetracked if there were fem- other females in heat at field trials. Yeah, well, and that's and that's true. But I mean, in field trials, males and females run a different day, typically. So that's, if you take a male to a field I didn't trial, that. wow, that's interesting. Well, well. I could be wrong. That's AKC, I know. Okay. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, typically if there's females, you know, it used to be traditionally they run males on Saturday, females Sunday. Okay. Hmm. And then those males are never on ground that was scented, you know, with the asterisk or anything. Right. Um now the days don't always stay traditional like they used to be. And it used to be four days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And they ran, you know, 13 inch males, Friday, 15 inch males, Saturday, then 13 inch bitches, sure. 15 inch bitches. But um, yeah, I mean, I love female dogs and, uh, uh, but it's, you know, probably to me, the biggest reason to keep males so you can hunt all four months of rabbit season. Yeah. You know. It's I I told that's why it surprised me when when I got into the hunting dogs because in the in the husky world, it's the males that are. I mean, there's some excellent females. Don't get me wrong, but it's the male pups that you're going to sell quickly. And they're going to be bigger and stronger. I mean, uh, uh, bigger and stronger for the most part. Yep. I mean, the females can be really excellent leaders. You know, they've got, they're a little bit more intuitive so that they, you know, sometimes they have the ability to use their brains a little bit more than the males can sometimes, you know, there's, there's good things to be said about having females in the, in the team. However, you know, we, we have these Huskies, you know, 365 days a year, we race two days a year. I can okay. guarantee you, I can guarantee you that on that, those two days, the females in the team are going to be in heat. Yeah. doesn't matter yeah. when I, when I race, but I can guarantee it's yep. just like the Murphy's law, I think, or whatever you would call it. It's just, it's, I, it never fails. Right. So it drove me crazy to the point where I had, uh, you know, a team of, almost exclusively males because I just didn't want to have to deal with the heat. And that's what I've got for hunting dogs. Now I have one female that was given to me really early on. Uh, The rest uh, of my dogs are males because I just don't want to have to deal with, with, with the heat. I want to be able to hunt all the time. And you know, the, the female, she does great for the first month of the season, and then she comes into heat, and she's kind of this hormonal bomb, so she'll stay in heat for a good long time and won't won't function while she's in heat. Right. And I can almost tell before the males in the house can tell. Yeah. And believe me, if you've had – if you've ever had – well, I, I just had Jenny come out of heat here a little while ago, and I had four males in the house that lost their voice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I'm, you know, letting, I'm letting Jenny and Diamond out at one time to go 
to the bathroom in the yard and putting them away. And then I got four males out that have been howling, right. losing their voice. And then when they get out in the yard, they all practice on each other in case one of them gets a chance to get the job. Right. Practice makes. And uh, it's just chaos. It's just <laughs> chaos. It is chaos. And that's, you know, that that's what made it so that I, you know, kind of naturally just kept going in the same, you know, the same side of the street that I was going on with the Huskies and that I just kept, you know, males, just kept males. I, yeah. you know, part of it is, I, I don't think that there's a huge difference in terms of the, the mental toughness. You know, I've seen, I don't. I've seen some female lead dogs and, you know, some female hounds do some amazing things, you know, stand toe to toe with a, stand toe to toe alone with a bear, you know, yeah, or, you know, break trail for seven hours, right? You know, in front of a dog team. Uh, you know, I, I don't see any appreciable difference in terms of tenacity or natural ability or anything like that. It's purely the heat thing for me, right? And uh, you know, and you know, while I did say I think the females tend to be a little more sensitive, that's often a good thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, for you sure. Know, that's often a good thing that they're more sensitive. I mean, I can I can take Diamond and Jenny out. And never look at my GPS to wonder where they are. Right. I, I I just, I whistle with my fingers, you know, here they come. Right. Um, and, 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 you know, I might never look at the GPS the whole time I'm out with them. And, you know, and those are the two dogs that if I'm sitting on the couch at night that are going to be right up against my body. Yep. Yep. You know, and so that sensitivity is a good thing. Yeah. I, you know, I've heard guys that say the females are better at it. They're better hunters. They're mm -hmm. better. I don't think the performance based on sex is that different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I see a bigger difference on performance based on 13 inch versus 15 inch, which in the beagle world, I don't know if anybody else has four classes of dogs you split them up by sex first and then big and little you right. know what do you have but I by see, the way well i i measured diamond and the bar fell off of her so she's like 10 and a half okay <laughs> blitz is like 11 and a half 12 yeah uh hoss and duke i've pre-measured at trials when they were young they almost always were it depends on how they stood them. They're around 13. They're probably both 13 and a quarter all day long. Sure. But if you measure out for winner's pack, you're done. So I would pre-measure them. They've ran in 13 and 15, um, depending on how they stood for the judge and how they dropped the bar that day. And of course, Jenny's 14 and something all day long. Okay. Um, yep. But, uh, interesting. And, you know, I don't know how people predict that. People seem to think they can breed a litter and say, well, these are going to be 15. You know, in any litter I've bred, I just never know. In fact, Diamond at, at, at 10 and a half inches, yeah. she was the biggest pup in her litter when she was born. Isn't that the darndest thing? I have I, That's happened to me a couple of times with the Huskies. Like by a lot. By a lot, yeah. Like born, born several hundred grams bigger and then ends up being this you know, fly weight, teeny tiny. Right. Yep. Right. But you were saying what the, 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 the performance difference between 15 and, and 13, what do you see? Yeah. There? I, okay. So, and this is not all, I mean, there are exceptions to this. I've known guys with little dogs 
that are, you know, like Speedy Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. But over the course of a day, you get that dog 15 inches versus a dog that's 10 and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, by nature, that bigger dog's probably going to be faster. Sure. Not always. It depends on the breeding for sure. And it's going to have more endurance. It'll often do better in snow. Um, but that's not always the case either. I've had beagles like diamond float on top the snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've had three generations of dogs now that will look at rabbit footprints in the snow when the scent's tough and they'll just use their eyes, put their nose in that rabbit. They know what a rabbit track looks like. Sure. Wow. That's, um, uh, that's impressive. And you know, yeah. you know, they're going to do better no matter what their site. And, and in fact, Duke, which is diamond's father did the same thing on a beach on Cape Cod. We went hunting, beach bunnies we called it on cape cod cool and they would go down by the break breakwater we had four or five dogs in there me and my buddy from massachusetts jason yeah and i heard him yelling i couldn't make out his words because you know he's from new england so he drops ours that belong there and adds ours <laughs> where they don't you know what i mean you oh, know, yeah. i got I'm, an idea i'm from new england yep I got an idea. Let's get in the car. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and I can figure out when he drops an R. It's still a mystery to me when you add an R. Right. I haven't figured out that grammatical rule, rule yet, but I know his son is named Noah, who he always calls Noah. Noah. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> I can hear him yelling at me in Bostonese, and I don't know what the hell he's saying. And I, you know, the only dog I could hear was Duke. And then the rabbit comes up and I shoot it. He was down by the breakwater. I said, what were you yelling? He said, the dog was looking at footprints in the sand. <laughs> and, and I said, well, I've seen him do it on snow. How big could the footprints be in the sand? And he looked at me real shocked. His eyes got wide. Not very effing big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's uh but I think the bigger dogs do tend to have more endurance. They're better in the, in, you know, the more open areas. And mm-hmm. then I got a dog like diamond. If I go into blow downs and clear cuts, she will belly crawl through that mass of vegetation that the other dogs can't get into. Sure. And they're going nuts trying to get to her. Right. And she just on her belly, I, 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 I going through and them, you know, so I think they're better in some of the thick cover and there's exceptions to that too. I've, had dogs so muscular that they make a brush pile breathe. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, the, the, that is really interesting to me, the difference in, in, in sizes. Cause I mean, it's, it's not something that really in any other sport we talk about. No. You know, in like in the, in the coon hounds and stuff like that, like you don't, you don't break it down to, to my knowledge. I can't think of a competition that breaks it down into size. Right. You know, they don't do and it with I mean, sled dogs. They don't do it with the sheep dogs. You know, I mean, a 60-pound right. a, a male is going to be competing against a 22-pound female. Like, that's just that's just how it's going to be. And AKC, and AKC, they used to have official measurement cards. So if you had a borderline dog like I'm talking about, you get a card, you go to two trials or three. As soon as that dog measures into the same class twice, you get an official measurement card. That's what that dog is forever. Okay. So if you get it 
13 or under twice, it's a 13-inch dog. If it's over 13 twice, it's a 15-inch dog. Okay. And people tend to want to get the bigger male measured officially 13. Okay. Yep. So down here in Pennsylvania, that's a big thing. There tend to be less 13-inch males and more 15-inch, right? And it's the opposite with the female. So like all dogs, there's sexual dimorphism going on there. The females tend to be smaller and sure. the males tend to be bigger and all that. Yep. I've seen official 15 inch dogs from up North that I guarantee are 17 inches all day long. Right. <laughs> that somebody dropped the bar, you know, you know, the dog had its legs splayed out when they dropped the bar and measured it and everything. Right. And I can see why I've been, I've been to the Canadian border hunting with guys and, uh, them 16, 17 inch dogs all day long in that snow mm. have a distinct advantage to my dogs that are chest deep in it right. the whole time, you know? Right. So I totally understand that, that, uh, tendency. I, you know, it sounds like I'm picking on the guy for getting the tall dog measured in for field trials and everything, but I, oh, I totally that's... see why they go for that. I, I see why they do it. That's still, that's a little bit underhanded. You got to admit. It's a little, well, you, Put a little it, peanut it, butter like, on the floor between the dog's legs and measure it then. Yeah, it's like... Uh, or you just make sure the guy measuring the dog is a friend of yours. And when right. they stand the dog up, the front legs go like this. <laughs> and they drop down, you know? Right. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean... And, you know, I, I know guys that prefer to run little males mm -hmm. and big bitches because they tend to be smaller classes. Okay. So you got less dogs to beat. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure. Yep. And then the flip side of that is you need three wins and 120 points. I've seen guys with five, six wins and little males, and they're nowhere near 120 points because the classes are so small. So small. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. There's a lot to keep track with the track of with the Beagles. Like, I, I, I had no no idea about the trialing aspect of things um before i got before i got mike the beagle that i've got now the pup that i've got now and and they don't do trialing here in the same way that they do it over there right. um you know so over here it's it's not un, it's not uncommon at all to use beagles on uh, on deer yeah that's big in the south here too yeah <clears throat> and it's um so you can actually get them, you can actually trial them on deer and get their sort of hunting champion uh, status certificate, whatever you call it, um, on deer and hare are, I believe, your two options. I be, Technically, I think okay. you could do it on fox, too, if you wanted to. I'm not actually sure. But um, it the the way they do it there it's, it's so much more complicated like i don't th i don't think they have classes here in terms of like the size of the beagles anything it's like a it's a beagle okay fine deer okay fine that's like the end of the story you go you go out and you do your thing right. that's it it's uh yeah. it, it's got to be such a and there's stylistic differences too right so sure. i had mentioned about those traditional brace dogs and i mean they're so slow like I told you, they'll go 20 yards and it's over. Right. Um, and it takes an hour to do it or something. I don't know. Then there's gun dog brace, which looks for a hunting dog. They're quicker, but you run two at a time or three at the most. Mm -hmm. Then you have small pack option where your first series, you'll roll out your packs and you'll run, you know, four to seven. Mm -hmm. 
And then there's large pack where every dog in that class runs at once. Right. So if there's 35 entries and the big males, all 35 are down at once and running together. Wow. And, uh, you know, and I'm okay with uh, things that contradict themselves, but I agree with two people. And I say I agree with both of them. And people say you can't agree with both of them. Bob Baker, who owned Better Beagling when I started writing for them, Mm -hmm. you know, all them years ago, he said large pack is the only fair format. Because every dog is running on the same hair up there, typically hair, not rabbit, or rabbit. They're all running the same exact game sure. under the same exact scenting conditions. Sure. Yeah. And he said, but in your small pack world down there, that pack that runs on morning dew has a way bigger advantage over the pack that doesn't come out till 11 o'clock or noon. Right. Sure. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with you, Bob. And then old Roger Alderman, who's passed away, he was part owner of SPO magazine when that existed. He said, the only fair format is gun dog brace. You got two dogs head to head and you can sort them out better. Right. When you evaluate them. And so I tell people all the time, I agree with both of those statements, but most people would say, no, you got to go one or the other, but you know, I can, and in fact, the triple challenge that they do down in Aldi, Virginia every year, uh, you run on one day, you run brace. The next day they run all the entries, really? big, little female. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's wow. dogs, bitches, big and little. They run all 30. And then that day they also have a show dog there or a show dog judge that judges them on the bench. Sure. Sure. And there's a lot of people that go there just to win first on the bench. Okay. And these dogs can't really run a rabbit or not no, very well. No. They can me too behind the pack, right? Right, right, right. But they go there just for that award. Um, but it's kind of interesting. They make you do the brace, they make you do the, you know, large pack, and then they, you know, put them on the bench. A friend of mine, Leo, uh I went there before Badger's injury, wound up third overall. Mm-hmm. He was fifth in the field both days. And Badger looks like a well-fed coyote with short hair. He doesn't look like <laughs> Uno, right? He doesn't look like that Uno dog that won the, the Westminster, you know, all those years ago. Right. He just looks like a well-fed coyote, short-haired. And he was like 15 or 16 out of 30. Right. On, you know, on, uh, on the bench. Sure. On the bench. Third overall. My buddy Leo had a dog was second in the field both days. Yeah. Because she finished 30 out of 30 on the bench, she was well out of the top 10. That's that's terrible. (laughs) All three facets were evaluated the same. She was second in the field both day and dropped down well out of the top 10. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, there were show dog guys there. That's all they care. It's, I guess, pretty prestigious if you win just the show. Everybody else that's there wants to win the overall. Right. You know? Right, right, right. Wow, that's interesting. (laughs) That's really interesting. <laughs> Boy, it's a lot to keep track of. It's uh, yeah. it, it's it's going to take me a few more years, I think, to to figure all this stuff out. It's uh, and at the end of it all, I just like listening to dogs chase. Yeah, right. <laughs> isn't that the base? Like, isn't that the bottom line? Yeah. At least it should be. Yeah. Well, that's that. That's really really interesting. I, I think. Um, yeah, no, that that's really interesting. I'm gonna try to get at some point. I would love to do a, a podcast where I get 
of a beagler from over here and a beagler from over there to sit down and sort of compare, argue about whose system is better. <laughs> oh, <laughs> make it as contentious well, I, as possible. And uh, I, 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 I probably wouldn't watch. argue, you know, over the, uh, you know, the competition formats because that's, but they do have competitions for having beagles on hair. Uh, they, they do, but not, not together. They'll have, okay. it's, it's like it, it, the dog is competing basically against a, a total itself in a total point system. They'll start with as many points as they're possibly going to get. And then they get minus. And then they, they get minus as they go. Yeah. And, um, the dog is run on its own. It's not solo. Yep. It's totally solo. And it's based off of its own performance. And, you know, hopefully you get a judge that takes into, into account the scenting conditions, the weather conditions, the, you know, the, the, these different these different things, which on the one hand makes it, I, I don't totally know how I feel about it yet. Because it's, on the one hand, you, you almost get the impression that it makes it a little bit more fair. You know, if you've got a, a, a dog that's really done some great work in mm-hmm. some really d- tough conditions, you might still get a pass. Right. On the other hand, it it can be a little bit wishy washy. It's it's not real concrete, you know. It's you're not competing against another dog. You know, you're kind of if you get a judge that's feeling generous that day. You know, there have been some dogs that I've hunted with, not beagles, but but like the Norwegian um, elk hounds, yeah, uh, that they use on moose over here. There have been a couple of those that I've hunted with that have been hunting champions. They've gone through like the process and and been judged and deemed champions. Who right. I mean, I I would be better off with yeah playing music on my phone, walking through the woods. You know, it's it's like they're they're on paper. They're good, but right, they're right, right. in reality they're not, and I think that that's the, maybe a little bit of the weakness of of having it be quite as um, you know up to each judge's. And you have sort of similar things, right? So here you need three wins and one hundred and twenty points. Yeah. So you know, but. I, I had mentioned those old traditional brace dogs that can't circle a rabbit. Mm-hmm. The scent's going to get too cold. The talk you hear here a lot is, and some of the dogs that are harder hitting on the front of a pack, mm-hmm. what winds up happening is they get to a breakdown where the rabbit changed directions, a check. Sure. And your hard hitting dog is out 50, 60 yards looping and you get a dog with more line control who solves the check. Then that hard hitting dog jumps back in front. Right. Until the same thing happens again. And you hear people say this, I, you know, I'm not going to accuse anybody's dog of anything, but you hear people say that dog is a field champion. And if you put it on the ground by itself, it could not circle a rabbit. Right. Right. I know, so I've I know which said, of those two things I would like. Right. And I've always said, you know what they should do? Require the three wins and the 120 points. And then some judge has to watch that dog find its own rabbit and circle it yep. by itself solo. Then, hey, you just certify the three wins and the 120 points and go with it. 100%. You know, yeah. 
you know, I mean, that being said, I'm not the most serious field trial guy. Uh, I go there to hawk books and, you know, get a few, you know, kind of ribbons. I've never had field champions. I've had dogs with a couple wins, but I've never had field champions. You know, I go there to find, I go there to find what I want to breed to next and sell a few books. Right. That makes sense. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that, that, that makes total sense to me. It's, uh, the competitions are a good way to, yeah, get a little bit of a lay of the land in terms of what's out there and, you know, get an idea what, what your next step's going to be eventually, you know, and it's, you know, it's the social aspect. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. fun. It's fun. It's just fun. It's fun as, as long as, you know, a friend of mine, John Gibble once said, he put it in print in an article he wrote and now everybody says it, uh, and I think he was the first to say it. He would say a man's ego is a very heavy thing for a dog to carry. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, I love or that. Or something saying. like that. Yeah. I'm I've paraphrasing. Heard that. I've, I've heard that, that saying as well. I have no idea where I first heard it, but I, I love that saying. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and if you get that guy whose whole life is invested in those achievements that, you know, as long as you can go to a trial and not necessarily win, or even place, I mean, you know, they're fun. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. It's uh, the, the, the whole thing is interesting, but I, I, yeah, I love that saying. That's a, it's a great saying. It's, uh, was circulating in the dog mushing world there for a little while as well. Um, uh, and I don't know when John wrote that. Maybe he's, you know, heard it somewhere, but I, I think he was the first I know to write it maybe in the eighties or something. Yeah. I mean, that. it's, I didn't hear it until like the last few years. So, I mean, it probably, yeah. that would be, that would be really cool if he was the first one to write it and it just kind of spread to these other dog sports as well. That, that sentiment. Oh, it's, it's just a such a sentiment. great sentiment. Yeah. 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 I'll have to ask him sometime. That would be really cool. Yeah. That, I'd be interested to hear. I'll have to what ask him said. what year he wrote that. Cause I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's you know that's a it's a great saying. It is. Well, Bob, we are up at let me see here, over an hour and a half here. Oh man, you're gonna have to do some editing now, huh? I might have to do some <laughs> editing. I think it's gonna be Colby this time who does the editing. So thank you, Colby. I uh, I appreciate it. But uh, I think I'm gonna let you go here. Yeah. I really, really appreciate you coming on. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. Uh, like I said, I've I've loved your books and and uh, you know love your uh, love your presence on social media. F- you know, Facebook can be a social media can be a pretty dark place these days. And it always it, I always look forward to seeing you pop it, up. It yeah, I, I put most of the dog stuff on my author page. Yeah. Most, not all. And then I try when I have t- and sometimes I write these while I'm running dogs in the morning too. I try to write something uh slightly theological, biblical, mm-hmm. uplifting, you know, pastoral on there. Sure. And you know, I think I'm actually gonna have a book of those published at some point. I was talking to my publisher, but oh great. Um and there's people that like them. I mean, it's not everybody, but you know, I say, "Oh, I really like that." Now I say, you know, I get so tired of coming on here and just seeing meanness. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm the exact same way. I, my, yeah. you, you, the only thing you will see on my Facebook is dogs, dogs, <laughs> and dad, dad jokes. 
dad. Yeah. 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 I mean, how many times can I listen to the 308 versus 30-06 debate where people get super <laughs> just get super upset about it? It's the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> it's like they're looking it's like they're looking for things to get upset about. It's like, okay, what's the difference between Heinz mayonnaise and Hellman's mayonnaise? And like people will get get personal. Oh yeah. They'll oh, get yeah. bent out of shape, man. It's <laughs> the whole anonymous aspect of the keyboard. They just lose their cookies over this stuff, you know? It's just like Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it's too funny. It's too funny. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Yep. And we will uh I might have to get you back on here at some point. Okay. This is a lot of fun. All right, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Man, I love that sound. <laughs>